Hello, beautiful humans, and welcome back to the Bitcoin Stoa. On our 11th episode of School of Coin, Eddie and I are going to talk about the Lightning Network. Current Moscow time is 2114 at 714823. And as a reminder, the Bitcoin Stoa is a community-funded platform. So if you enjoy listening, you can support the project by sending some sats to the QR code at our homepage at bitcoinstoa.com. Or you can stream sats using something like the Breeze Wallet, which has a really badass podcast feature. And we'll talk about how Lightning enables um, streaming sats. One of the best ways to support the project at the end of the day is to share it, uh, share the content with anyone you know who's curious to learn about Bitcoin. Uh, the more people who understand this technology and the value it has for everyone, the quicker we can get to a Bitcoin world. So with that said, let's dive into Lightning. And the objective today is to do sort of a high-level overview of the Lightning Network. So we're not going to get into the nitty gritty, but uh, we want to talk about the problems that Lightning solves and the expanded potential that it enables for Bitcoin. So um, Eddie, how you doing? Doing great, Nick. And uh, I think this is going to be a really good episode to talk about just because Lightning Network is something that's that's really new. Uh, not only is it new to me, but it's like new to Bitcoin. I would say like like what is it three or four years i'm not exactly sure how new the technology is well it came out in the white paper for the lightning network came out in 2015 so it was you know like anything it comes out and then there's a large period where it's almost like dormant where like we got to build it right it's like okay the white paper's out now it actually has to be built out and uh start to gain some traction but i think you know stimulated by things like el salvador and you know the necessity to have bitcoin enabled as a medium of exchange uh, you know, and companies like Strike, like it's really starting to mushroom now. And uh, probably in the past like two years, you know, people talked about Lightning early in the early days quite a bit. Like, oh, you can do free and instant transactions with Lightning. And, you know, there was nothing actually built. So everyone's like, yeah, yeah sure you can. Just like people talk about Taproot now, right? Oh, you can do all these uh, complex transactions. You can, you have better privacy, da, da, da. And people are like, okay, sure. I'll believe it when I see it. And so Lightning took a while to develop and we'll kind of go through, um, you know, what lightning is and what it does, but, uh, but yeah, it is, you're right. It is as a mainstream use and mainstream adoption, um, at scale, it is relatively new. I mean, new is all, it's all relative, right? <laughs> like Bitcoin is new. If you're talking about decades, but lightning is even newer and it's super badass. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the, one of the, like, I guess kind of the, one of the cool things that I noticed about Lightning Network that I didn't know um, prior to like doing some research about this episode is like, is literally just like when we were talking about FUD last week um, and how Ethereum and a lot of these uh, alternative uh, cryptocurrency coins are used as like testing ground for um, a lot of this technology. Well, I learned that uh, Litecoin was the first coin that actually utilized the Lightning transaction. And I was like, oh, go figure, you know. I had no idea about that, but mm. now that I see how much it's been built out into Bitcoin and the things that are going on with El Salvador and, uh, and just actually like the, the exponential increase of the usage of the Lightning Network in the past year, I think it's all starting to come to fruition. And like you said, Nick, it's, it's, a, it's, it's tough to really like put a time like saying things are young. Um, I guess in terms of like Bitcoin, it is young, but um, there's already been so much work done to it. Even someone like myself can um, essentially just uh, download a wallet and start participating on the Lightning Network, which is kind of mind blowing to me. 
Yeah. And like, I have known about the lightning network for a while. Uh, I probably only really started to interact with the lightning network earlier this year. So early 2021 for me. And I only had my like super potent aha moment with the lightning network. Um, when I spun up a lightning node where I did a, made a, a transaction using a lightning wallet and it cost me like one sat. And I was like, oh shit, it's real. This is actually real now. And it like immediately brought to mind this whole notion that like, I just used the equivalent of Netflix and all the blockbusters are fucked, right? All the payment transaction networks, all the third-party intermediaries that have inferior technology that is less efficient at transferring monetary value across rails, like they're, they're kind of screwed. Um, and so let's rewind a little bit. And I think a good place to start is to talk about Bitcoin, the network versus, versus Bitcoin, the asset, because, you know, the school of coin shows are for people who maybe are just starting out their Bitcoin journey. And it's easy for us to take for granted that people understand that distinction, but it's a really important distinction to make. So typically when you see a written down Bitcoin, the network is written with a capital B Bitcoin, the asset, is written with a lowercase b. And so that's kind of this distinction that gets made when we write about it. Um, but Bitcoin is the world's first open global monetary standard. It's the wor world's first open monetary network. Um, and so that's the network part of it. And then it's also a global form of money and that's the asset, right? That works outside of governments. Um, and the asset must exist in order for the network to have utility. So you, you even though they can be uh, we can make a distinction between the network and the asset. Um, the network requires the asset in order to have utility. But as we're going to see, the interesting thing is that some companies allow you to actually use the network without ever touching the asset companies like Strike. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. But Bitcoin is a monetary network. It's the world's most inclusive and only global monetary network. So that's, that's a significant thing. It's the fastest. It's the cheapest. And it's the only monetary network that works for every individual on earth that has an internet connection. Um, and it's the first open monetary network, meaning that anyone can interact and build on top of it. And I, you know, those words, I've heard them so many times that they don't mean maybe they're less potent for me, but like, that's a pretty special thing, right? Like, you know, and to, to draw a parallel for people, the internet is an open uh, information network, right? It's a singular global protocol. Anyone can build applications on the internet and what the internet did for communications, Bitcoin has done for money, right? Like with the internet, Gmail, Outlook mail, Yahoo mail, they all incorporate uh, and they all interoperate with the global informational protocol, which is the internet, right? And the unfortunate thing is that the, you know, if it, it doesn't matter if you have a Gmail account or a Yahoo account or a Hotmail account. And it doesn't matter what, which one of those I use, we can send messages to each other. But the equivalent in money today is such that if you have a Gmail account and I have a Yahoo account, we can't send emails to each other. That's the equivalent of money, right? And so, you know, I, I think it's important for people to understand that this whole notion of a global network means that anyone can build on it, anyone can interact with it. Um, and it's important to distinguish the network from the asset. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that <clears throat> I didn't even realize, you know, in doing a lot of my research today, uh, I think like after after learning that true distinction of the capital and, and lowercase b and Bitcoin and the differences between the network and the and the asset, 
I think I'm a little bit nitpicky and I do know, like notice when people don't do those distinctions. But I think that, like you said, Nick, it is important to, it is important to make those, it is important to have that understanding of truly like what Bitcoin is in order to separate into those two different parts to really kind of see where the need of lightning would come into place, really. And I think, I, really, I think like for, for lightning itself, a lot of, a lot of the, a lot of the reasons for what it, you know, why it was created and a lot of the reasons that, or a lot of the problems with Bitcoin that uh, Bitcoin, the network um, posed and a lot of people argued against. Again, I think, uh, you know, Jeff Booth makes this really good point of people looking at things with a very limited scope and, and kind of looking at them, uh, you know, with with your current state of knowledge. But I think like looking at Bitcoin and saying, you know, oh, I can't buy a cup of coffee with that, which is which is one of that those those true like scalability problems that Lightning is addressing. I can't buy coffee with that. I'm, you know, I love coffee. I love Starbucks. I can't do that. I'm not going to, you know, uh, be a participant and be a participant of the network because I can't do the things that I love with, with money. If it's real money, I want to be able to do that. Um, well, lightning literally does that. And what, you know, what you said, Nick, and, you know, while I'm thinking while, while you were talking about, uh, the distinctions between the network and also like the legacy system that we already have is that, um, you know, even if, even if I have like a bank of America, and uh, and I want to take money out of an ATM. I'm going to be that's not that's not affiliated with my bank. You know, I'm going to be paying a small fee, uh, a small fee, like two dollars, which you know, in on the bank side, you know, is, is billions. Small. It's really not that small to me. Like I used to pay those things all the time, but I am starting to be more conscious about those little uh, whatever you know, like micro fees that you want to call them. Those little things that. Um, are entwined in like my everyday life. And uh, yeah, like I personally uh, wouldn't have maybe bought a coffee with Bitcoin. Um, maybe I still won't, but it, in, in the case of Lightning, it makes it very easy for me to do that. And it actually is cheaper, like in terms of the transaction cost too. So I don't know, I, it's, it's kind of cool. Um, yeah, I think sometimes we view like i remember one time i was in greece and i needed to take out um some money and i used my bank card and i think i, I think i took out the equivalent of 60 dollars, and i got charged like i think it was around a two dollar fee uh by the atm company that i used i got charged uh like a five dollar international withdrawal fee by my bank um and so that's like seven bucks on 50 that's like more than 10 percent, right and so and, and I think the mistake that I made initially was like, these banks are so freaking greedy, right? Like, why do they need to take so much money? But what I didn't realize is that they just use shit systems. Like they have such a high overhead cost of their system that they're not making all that money. They actually just have so many inefficiencies built in that they need to make some of that to recoup the overhead that they have embedded in this highly complex, low tech system. And so you know, like if we want to contrast open and closed networks, the, the, the common uh, base network in the United States is called ACH, which is auto, uh, automated clearinghouse. And so, you know, because it's a closed network, you need permission to use it. 
So you have to, you have to be granted permission in order to build on top of that and to interact with it. And so, you know, something like Venmo is ACH combined with the PayPal network, like Cash App is ACH plus Square network. And if you have Venmo and I have Cash App, I live in Canada, so I don't even have Cash App or Venmo. We can't send each other money because they are closed permissioned systems, right? Not only do they have to get permission from ACH to be able to interoperate, but they don't talk to each other. And, you know, that's kind of like the intranet, right? Like banks have these closed internets that they use internally for more security, but it actually stops the ability to communicate uh, with, with other networks, right? And so this whole notion that closed permissioned networks are being replaced by open permissionless networks is very powerful, right? Such that, okay, that was the old version, Cash App and Venmo. Now uh, with Lightning, if you have a Lightning wallet, you know, like Joe's lightning wallet that Joe decided to create because he wants a lot of privacy. And I use Mary's lightning wallet that was created just to be really quick and easy. They can interoperate with each other. So I can send you money. You can send me money. We can both pay a vendor, uh, like a vendor in El Salvador that's selling uh, pupusas on the street because they also interoperate with the lightning network. So this whole notion that if you build applications on permissionless open networks, you create uh, a unified network, just like the internet. Right. And I think that's very powerful. And the other reality is that open networks win, right? You can't compete with open networks as a closed network because you limit the amount of innovation you have. You limit the speed of innovation, whereas open networks uh, work in such a way that every single person building on open networks makes that network more valuable for everyone else. Right, the MIT professor who is working on cryptography makes the Bitcoin network more valuable for you and I if we hold Bitcoin. Um, the company in El Salvador that's working on a lightning wallet makes the Bitcoin network more valuable for you and I. And so this whole notion that it's like everyone is working together to improve this thing because it's permissionless. Anyone can innovate without having to ask permission, without having to pay to be able to interact with it. And I think that's very, very powerful. And, and lightning fundamentally is a network level innovation. So Lightning doesn't have its own blockchain. It simply allows increased functionality of the Bitcoin asset by creating a peer-to-peer -peer mesh, um, mesh network on top of the Bitcoin base chain. Um, and one last little nugget that I didn't know for a long time and that I think most people don't realize is now that we've created, you know, companies like Strike have created this sharp distinction of Bitcoin network versus Bitcoin asset. You can actually benefit now from the Bitcoin network, the efficiencies that it has without needing to interact with the Bitcoin asset which is very interesting because this whole notion that people don't touch Bitcoin or use it to spend um, on for transactions because there's tax implications. Well, what if I could send you, I could have Canadian dollars leave my bank account and arrive in your bank account in US dollars. It gets sent from my account to your account using the, the Lightning Network, but I never actually have to buy or sell Bitcoin. Things like uh, companies like Strike are innovating these things. So um, I think that's really cool. And let's go really fundamental. Why was Lightning created? Because I think that's like a good question to start with. Why did, why did, why did Lightning get uh, created? Like what problems does it solve? And I think you have to rewind and realize that Bitcoin optimizes for a certain set of, uh, of, of things, right? It optimizes for global consensus and decentralization, right? The idea is it created a hard money, hard money protocol that can't be fucked with by anyone that supersedes any government intervention. Uh, and because that's what it optimized for, it has some limitations. Um, and the main two that Lightning solves for are slow transactions and expensive transactions. 
because those both depend on sort of block congestion and the fee market. And so Lightning eliminates those. In terms of transaction volume, just to get kind of some comparison, uh, the Visa network can process about 65,000 transactions per second, whereas the Bitcoin base layer can only process about seven transactions a second. So you look at that and you say, well, that can't scale. What people don't realize is that we don't have to build that into the Bitcoin base chain. It's optimized for global consensus of a hard monetary protocol. Lightning network is a second layer protocol that integrates with the base chain. And so to contrast that, you know, if Visa can do 65,000, base chain can do 7,000, Lightning network can actually do millions or even billions of transactions per second, which sounds weird to say, but there's actually no theoretical limit to how many payments per second the Lightning network can process because they're limited by the capacity and speed of each node, which are both, you know, the number of nodes and the number of channels are both increasing exponentially over time. And so simply said, the Lightning network was created to enable transaction volume scalability um, on the Bitcoin network by increasing the speed and decreasing the cost of every transaction. So that's why it was created. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that um, it was a very, I think it is like a very great solution for the scalability problem. And a lot of the skeptics that propose those issues with slow transactions and expensive transactions. Um, and it, uh, I didn't even know some of the, uh, some of those nuggets, Nick, that you were uh, just railing off there. Those were really good. I think like, you know, I've kind of had that like thought train a little bit like that thought experiment about um being able to send money in a um in canadian dollars and then send it over and then receive in usd or you know taiwanese dollars or something like that um you know because like that's one of the reasons why i was kind of introduced into bitcoin in the first place was to receive like a small payment um, that was easier to send, like, than having to go through, like, all the, ra- all the, like, legacy rails, I guess. Um, and so I think, like, not only does Lightning uh, re- address those two issues in terms of just, like, you know, transaction cost and speed, um, and it does it quite well. Like, I had no idea also that um, it could do, like, billions. I mean, I guess, like, figuratively, um, it could, it could handle essentially, you know, whatever could be built on top of it, you know, whatever could be, um, fathomed. But one of the, like, one of the things like that, I, that, you know, that I thought of in my research, you know, when you were talking is that not only does, uh, the lightning network is incredibly beneficial for Bitcoin, um, and the entire world one, because of its ability to run on top of Bitcoin and utilize the network and you know cheap and fast transactions but it also benefits the layer one of bitcoin um and freeing up more block space in the layer one so i think like uh you know i was doing a little bit of reading yesterday and i think that that has a lot of uh benefit in itself too because i think to me like the the layer one uh, protocol is like, you know, like the, the, the most important thing and, uh, in Bitcoin. And so, you know, with the lightning network, almost kind of taking a load off, um, and, uh, you know, allowing for more people to scale and more people to jump on to Bitcoin, 
um, but not necessarily like bogging down the the layer one protocol, I think is like really cool. Um, I think that like you said, we're just really experiencing the beginning. Like when, if you jump on Wikipedia and you look up lightning network, it's going to talk about like El Salvador, you know, which is literally like happening in front of our eyes. And um, I think a lot of this stuff like strike, like I, I, I purposefully downloaded strike this week. And a lot of the stuff is just so new to me. It's so um, exciting. I think that um, it's, uh, it's just bound to catch on. I mean, like to me, like a lot of these things that we're talking about just make so much sense to me. Like, why would I, why if I was in another country and I wanted to, um, you know, get, um, uh, exchange some currency, you know, like why would I pay a t 10, 15 or 5% uh, fee when I could literally pay, you know, 0.01% fee, you know, or, or something, you know, something like that, which is, which is now doable um, with the lightning network. Yeah. I think, I think the majority of people in the Western world with um, I would say world-class as it currently exists aside before Bitcoin world-class banking services means that you can have a visa card, a debit card, you can buy stocks, you can send money to your friends with an email money transfer. Like I think in North America, we take this fundamentally for granted because we have those things. Most of the world doesn't have those things. We are extremely lucky and this is not the norm. And so I think what you see is we have existing acceptable payment rails, right? Financial infrastructure with banks. Therefore, there's no immediate need for this, right? But if you're in El Salvador and the majority of people don't have bank accounts or even access to a bank, this goes from being something that might be a cool high-tech novelty and new innovation coming up to something you actually need and that adds massive value in your life. And so I think most people listening to this, um, it's hard for them to really place, myself included, it's hard for them to place lightning because there's no need, right? Like I have, I already have a bank card. I already have a bank. Um, the fees are so small and the, uh, you know, the five to seven business day friction is so insignificant in my life. Cause I've literally just like, gotten myself used to it. I've normalized five to seven business days, uh, in terms of like a hold releasing on a check. It's not a hugely big deal, but when you get these little moments where you take up money in a foreign country and you get ding 10% or when you, um, you know, can't actually withdraw the money in your own bank account. Cause your bank doesn't let you withdraw a certain amount within a certain period of time. It's like, Hmm. I can't even get access to my own money. Hmm. I can't send someone a payment in another country and have it take less than a week. You know, like these are inefficiencies that we've normalized because that is the current best experience. That's the, that's the highest standard experience, but now it just got obliterated. Right. Like, and, and maybe one thing to talk about is like, how does lightning do this? Right. Like how are we now going from seven transactions a second to millions of transactions per second? And the way it does it as a high level is, it allows transactions to be done within channels that are off the main chain. Like you said, it frees up uh, block space because every, every transaction, for example, if I wanted to send you money each day for seven days, that's seven transactions. Instead of doing seven transactions on the main chain and paying fees each time and, and uh, clogging up blocks, I can do on the first day, I can do one transaction on the main chain to open a, a payment channel with you. So I do one transaction on the main chain. I open a payment channel with Eddie. So long as that channel is open and until the point that I close it, which is another main chain transaction, you and I can do as many transactions as we want. We can do a million transactions in a week. Basically, 
for free, right? And instantly. And so by going a layer up and not always being on the main chain, it does, number one, it allows us to do as many as we want for virtually free, but it also makes it a lot more private. This is something people don't talk about with Lightning, but all of the off-chain transactions are not put on the transparent global ledger. They're kept within uh, our payment channel. And so only we know what's happening there, not the whole world. And so I think for privacy, it's pretty, uh, it's a pretty badass thing as well. And so, you know, Bitcoin is, has been, and still is primarily a store of value for most people, right? It's not something we're going to use each day to buy a cup of coffee because that's fundamentally not the use case for me. I don't want to spend my Bitcoin. I want to save it because it holds, preserves my value, uh, my wealth better than anything else available today. Um, with that said, once we go through this adoption curve of store of value, the next natural phase that occurs is the adoption curve of Bitcoin being a medium of exchange, right? Like you can have this thing that you're saving and it's preserving your wealth, but at some point you got to spend it. And instead of having to transfer it back into shit money, um, that is domestic and, and, you know, like specific to each country, you can just use that Bitcoin as a medium of exchange through lightning. And so that's really where it comes in. We preserve the base protocol integrity of Bitcoin. We're still using the blockchain for final uh, settlement with channels, but it allows us to use Bitcoin as a medium of exchange uh, to submit payments instantly and basically for free. And so that's a very important thing is like store of value always precedes medium of exchange, except in use cases where there's a significant need like in El Salvador. Um, and so... Yeah, I think it's really important to note where it's like Bitcoin isn't designed right now to buy to for you to buy coffee. You can, but that's not really its use case. Um, but in ten years, it's going to be a different story, right? When everyone's got all this Bitcoin that is uh, has a high amount of purchasing power, you have to be able to start using that to buy things, right? To transact with, and the notion that we can now do transactions of any value at virtually zero marginal cost that settle instantly um, is very important. So. So we talked about, you know, what problems does the Lightning Network solve? It's transaction volume, speed, and reducing um, the cost. And, you know, what is the Lightning Network? Uh, like I said before, it was introduced 2015 with a white paper. It's a layer two protocol built on top of the base protocol. And so it's essentially a network of user-generated bi-directional payment channels. Um, and once they're open, these channels allow unlimited transactions to occur without requiring global consensus on the main chain. And so it's just essentially a network of channels that routes payments that is independent of the main chain, except for when you open and close a channel. And so that's kind of what the Lightning Network is, it's a layer two protocol. And this whole notion of layers is kind of hard to understand um, when you first hear about it, but it makes more sense the more you understand about Bitcoin. Uh, what are your current, like, if someone says, what do you mean by layer one and layer two? What are you telling them right now based on your understanding? Yeah, I mean, I think like what, what you said earlier, Nick, was a really good explanation. And that's kind of my go-to is, you know, layer one is the is the blockchain. That is the immutable ledger that cannot be changed. Layer two, like for me, like lightning is essentially, like you said, this channel and you can open it up between two people. Now, that was my first understanding is like two different people can open up this channel. So it's kind of like this timestamp on the blockchain ledger, you know, saying, okay, here's this, this um, channel between two different entities. And you can send transactions back and forth. And like you said, 
this is another thing I still, still think I'm really working on, but it, it, it can essentially be opened for as long as you want. I mean, like, like you could have it essentially open like for years, you know, or you could open it for a day. Um, you can and... actually set a constraint to say when you, if, you know, the, the whole idea is like, okay, if I open a channel, payment channel with you and you just like fall off the face of the earth and, and we stop talking, well, if I need you to also sign this multi-sig transaction, which is a payment channel, mm -hmm. then it never, it, there's a possibility that it never closes. So there is actually a constraint saying that if it's not, you know, after a certain period of time, this channel closes. And so you can put that in there too, which is a cool, it's like a time lock. Um, and that was actually the first real application of a time lock that I had ever um, come across, which is right. kind of cool. But yeah, this whole notion that like, this is really the peer to peer, like Bitcoin itself, the network is a peer to peer network. I can send you money. But this is like an even bigger deepening of peer-to-peer -peer and this whole idea that as more people use Lightning, there becomes a more a bigger mesh of uh, payment channels to use. And the redundancy built in there, uh, you know, like a cool thing is that if I have a payment channel with you and you have a payment channel with Joe, um, but I don't have one with Joe, but I do know Joe, I don't, if I want to send a payment to Joe, I don't actually have to open a payment channel with Joe. The payment essentially just gets routed from through our channel and then through your channel with Joe. And so look at that with, um, with like exponential scale. It's like, if I want to send a payment to someone in Japan, I might not even have to open up a channel because it might route through like 18 different channels that connect us indirectly. Um, and it, it, it just, it's hard to wrap your head around, right? And even researching for today, it was really difficult. Like, how the fuck do I talk about lightning? I kind of understand it, but I don't know how to teach it or explain it, um, really well yet, but I think this is, it's good to get a rep in, right. To try yeah, and like, sure. clarify our thoughts. I think it's really cool. Uh, I, that was another thing that I found really fascinating is kind of that six degree separation idea, because that was like one one kind of issue I had with it was first I was like, okay, like you're opening up this channel between two people, right? But it, so, so like, am I going to have like a million channels open with everybody that I'm, you know, working with or, or transacting value or doing business with? But like you said, and doing my research too, like, no, that's not really the case. You just have to be a part of the network and just kind of like how like social media, um, you know, is utilized or like that six degree of separation, like literally, um what does a very degrees of separation mean well essentially like it so um like six degrees of separation you are connected with everyone in the world so oh. like by if you know i know you and then you know somebody and then that person knows someone so that's four degrees two more degrees would cover set how many how many billion people there are in the world so <laughs> i think insane. you know it's like the same idea about like Facebook right. and being able to connect or, you know, or sell ads like and, and things like that, like on social media, I think that utilizing that same type of idea with a lightning network is really cool. Um, like also, you know, thinking about like when I do traveling and I'm not really like hopeful about it. Like I really do think that this is like a vision for the future um, just because of like how, how much sense it makes to me. Like if I was going to be traveling and you know, for a real world scenario, like going down to El Salvador, I will for sure be utilizing uh, the lightning network to see how that feels. Um, because I know how it feels to pay, uh, you know, uh, international 
transaction fees and I know how it is to, to use that legacy system. And uh, like you said, Nick, it is like, it is a privilege. Like it is great to have a debit card and a credit card and things like that. But there are a lot of limitations with that, um, that we've just all kind of been used, like we just put up with it. Um, and so I'm like really excited to see like just the potential of, I guess, like layer two in general. I mean, I think like lightning is going to be really exciting just because I think 2021 is really where it's seeing like most of its growth um, from, from my research. But uh, yeah, I mean, those well, are kind of some of my thoughts. Yeah. One thing to, to almost make a comparison to layer one layer, because I was trying to think like, what is the legacy financial uh, structure that can be made into a metaphor for layer one and layer two? So this is my first time kind of explaining this, but let's see, let me know how this how this sounds. So in the current legacy system, each bank settles with the other banks uh, on, on a certain frequency. Let's just, for, 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 uh, for this case, let's just use every day. So there's a thousand people that use bank A in Canada and a thousand people that use bank B. And each day, people from bank A send people money to people in bank B. And so there's a lot, there's, there's a ledger there, right? And then at the end of each day, a final settlement is done to see, okay, you know, if $5,000 was sent from bank A to bank B, but $10,000 was sent from bank B to bank A, in the end, when you zero it out, bank B owes bank A $5,000 because that was the net difference. And so they settle with each other on this global interbank network. Um, they keep their own ledgers, but there's one final settlement done, and that would be considered the base chain, right? But all of those other transactions happening are sort of layer two, right? It's its own ledger. Like the Visa network is a layer two solution for rapid, frequent transactions, which are then settled later on, right? Like Visa, the Visa network has this ledger where, okay, all these transactions happened, and then at the end of the day, the net balance is that this bank owes this bank this much, this bank owes this bank this much. So that the, the settlement between banks, between financial institutions is layer one. The settlement of the visa uh, layer within the visa network is like a ledger that's a layer two um, network on top of the legacy system. And I think Bitcoin will fundamentally move towards this as well, where your daily transactions are, you know, every payment channel is essentially, essentially its own ledger, right? That then... At, you know, instead of each day, you get to choose when that final settles. But that once we want to close that channel, everything that happened within that channel, that ledger essentially gets sorted out, netted out, and then gets um, put on the main chain as a transaction. And so the output, regardless of how much money went back and forth, regardless of how much how many sats flowed back and forth, the final output and balance held by each party in that payment channel essentially gets settled on the main chain. And so I think you know, right now, fees are pretty cheap. Like I was tracking mempool this morning. It was, it was like two, it was, it was so cheap. Um, and so right now there isn't really enough volume to create high transactions, but what if in future uh, transaction fee for a main chain transaction was $500, right? And maybe that's done between banks, or maybe that's, maybe you only use the main chain when you buy a house. And so the legal fees get essentially swallowed up by um, the cost to put a transaction on the, on the global ledger. And so I think it's hard to foresee where this goes because most people don't even understand lightning, let alone really understanding what lightning enables and where we might be in 10 years. But this whole notion of a layer two network 
handling transaction volumes within its own ledgers that are not needed to have consensus um, on the global chain means that whenever you do want to close that channel, then you need to plug that into the main chain and that gets put into the global ledger. And so, you know, I think another thing people mistake too, is that, you know, I was talking to lightning um, with someone saying like, yeah, it, it basically enables free and uh, nearly free and instant transactions. And they're like, well, my visa does that. It's like, okay, well, let's talk about this. Cause they're not actually the same. So with lightning, it's final settlement of a bearer asset with visa it is not final settlement it is a credit tool, right? Like that final settlement of that visa transaction might only happen 90 days from now, right? Until then, it's literally just a, a credit ledger entry. Um, and, you know, we face this with TFC all the time with our physical online, with our online store is chargebacks. So someone buys a pair of shoes from TFC, they pay $200 that gets plugged in as a visa credit um, for us. And maybe it goes into our bank account like a week later. But if that person used, uh, was a, used a fraudulent visa, then Visa will claw that $200 back from us. And we've essentially lost a pair of shoes and lost $200. And so this whole notion that, and, and why is that possible? Because final settlement did not happen, right? It was a credit instrument. Uh, and the other thing too, that people don't realize as a consumer, you use your Visa card, it's all great. You get points. It's awesome. It's instant. It's convenient. As a merchant, if you accept Visa payments, then if, I, if you send me $100 for something, as a merchant, I'm going to pay 2.9%, so $2.90 plus probably $0.30 cents per transaction. And those fees are essentially what Visa has to make to support the network they've created, like the people that Visa pays, the, the potential for fraud to happen, the fraud resolution that they have to do, the capital they have to keep liquid in these credit markets. Um, and so Visa needs to charge that. They're not making all that. They need to charge that because that's how inefficient their network is. Um, and also I'm losing some of that, like some of the money that I should have received by receiving that payment gets sliced off. And so even though Lightning and Visa might seem similar on the surface, one is final settlement of a bearer asset, which is Lightning. One of them is a credit product, is not final settlement. One of them is pretty much free. The other one charges uh, significantly more fees, right? We're talking about like, you know, 20 basis points versus 300 basis points with Visa. And so I think we need to appreciate that there is a fundamental difference uh, between final settlement and, and um, credit. Uh, and also this whole notion that like, this is just a way better experience and it hasn't been integrated yet, but maybe next let's talk about some use cases. Cause there's many, okay, this lightning is this thing, but how does this actually look in reality? Like what real world applications does lightning network have uh, or can it have in the, in the foreseeable, you know, near-term future? Um, anything to talk about before we dive into use cases? Yeah, man. I, I really just think that just to like answer your question, I think that that is a pretty good example to use to, to really like interplay like layer one and layer two. Um, and you know, it's, it's like, it's the best, it's the best example. I think that we can use, uh, like right now, is, is using the legacy system and the credit-based system that we have relied on. You know, that's, it's so reliable, but like you said, there's so many like downfalls for the user. There's downfalls for the, um, for the store, uh, the seller, and, uh, you know, to use these, these, these credit-based systems. And so, um, yeah, like my thought is like, is, you know, what, why is Lightning Network so valuable 
um, and why will it be so like powerful um, and so massive in the future? Because it's it's like uh, like Visa, but Final Settlement. It's a layer two, but it is uh, it's it's based on the foundations of Bitcoin. And like, we're all learning those foundations right now because Bitcoin is only 13 years old, but like basing um, Lightning Network, you know, having the capability of probably much more than like a Visa um, network, you know, it's, it's really exciting to me. And, and, it, and it gives me a little bit of peace uh, in my mind because I know that it's based upon a, a, like a hard sound money, like a hard layer one protocol bitcoin and really like my last thought is like is uh yeah like as time goes on bitcoin transactions i think to me would only naturally get more expensive and i think i think that because i i realize that with more time there's going to need more energy to uh, power the network and it's just going to be more powerful. So I think like being able to see those um, use cases or those like, uh, you know, just those like um, functional uses, you know, for, for lightning and now, and, and to be able to have that vision is like, is really exciting. And so I think it's a great way to like explain the layer one and layer two. It makes a lot of sense to me. And it also gives me like more, more reason to to believe in lightning. Yeah, the problem with that metaphor is most people don't understand how the legacy system actually works, right? They don't understand ACH. They don't understand how banks settle with each other. They think checks are just magic money that you write something on a piece of paper and it shows up in your bank account. There's not really any need to know. So most people don't know. Um, I think another thing with that visa uh, analogy is that most people don't have a visa card, right? Like you need... Um, like people in most people in like Asia are developing countries. They don't have a visa account. Why? Because you need a, a, it's a privilege to have a visa account, right? You have to give visa a bunch of information. You need to be vetted to be able to use a visa account, right? Like a, someone in a village in Africa probably doesn't have a visa account because they probably don't even have a bank account. And this whole notion that, uh, inclusivity is this feature that in the privileged Western world, that doesn't mean anything to us. To most people on earth without banking services, without any hope in hell of ever accessing a Visa card, it means a lot. Because if you have a phone and that phone is connected to a cellular internet network, you now have the ability to receive and send transactions on the Lightning Network without asking anyone permission, without um, needing any special privilege to access uh, a closed network like the Visa Network. And so I think, you know, even in that example, there's a lot of things that we need to kind of unpack to distinguish how it's final settlement of a bearer asset versus a credit instrument. It is uh, essentially free versus uh, high fees. And especially, you know, like one thing we didn't even talk about is this notion that if I want to pay you 50 cents, I can't really do that with Visa, right? It's too expensive. Visa's cost per transaction prohibits that. Like what if, if it's 2.9% plus 30 cents a transaction? Well, if I want to send you a nickel, then my fees end up being a thousand percent of what I'm sending you, right? But I can literally send you a fraction of a penny with lightning. And the cost to me is essentially nothing if we have a payment channel together. And so I think it's important to note that the expansion of possibilities that lightning enables um, is much bigger than what people realize because we just don't realize the limitations that we already have, 
right? We think of money as a separate thing than information, but if money is viewed as simply another form of information, uh, you know, like what's the cost for me to send you a text message? What's the cost for me to send you a Twitter DM? Nothing. It's a piece of data that I'm shooting across the internet, which is an open communication layer. Well, money should not be any different, right? If we have an open global monetary protocol, then the marginal cost of me sending you a Twitter DM is the exact same marginal cost of me sending you um, either a hundred dollars, a billion dollars, because all it is, is one packet of information. And that's some pretty special shit that, you know, it kind of like breaks my brain a little bit when I try and think of this at a macro level. Cause I'm like, I don't even like, what the hell this, this is like a, it's essentially a revolutionary breakthrough in money that is so hard to comprehend because we've never had to think about money in an expanded way before. Um, so let's make this a little bit more concrete. Hopefully this hasn't, and please leave feedback on the YouTube video. We're always trying to get better and we're still learning. Um, but let's talk about some real use cases. And I, I want to talk about three specific ones. Um, first one is point of sale payments. So if you go to a merchant, if you go to a company and spend money, that's a point of sale payment. Second is remittances. Uh, and then the third one is micropayments. So let's kind of go through these. Uh, we've already kind of touched on a little bit, but let's talk about the first one, point of sale payments. So essentially what Lightning does is it disintermediates point of sale payments. What I mean by that is right now, if I own a business and I sell um, shirts, Eddie, you come to my business, you want to buy a shirt for me, you pay Visa, Visa pays me. So there's a third party intermediary. There's someone in the middle that is allowing us to use their monetary network to, to do this payment. And they're taking a fee in order to do that. Visa charges 2.9%. 2.95% plus 30 cents a transaction. The Lightning Network doesn't require an intermediary. And so that 2.95% is now gone, right? It's now a fraction of a penny. Why? Because it's more efficient, right? There isn't all this uh, risk of fraud. There isn't all this bulky, complex uh, payment structure and credit, um, credit structure that has to be uh, worked through with Visa. And so it's final settlement. That's the other thing too, right? If you buy a shirt from me uh, with your visa card, and then a month later, I find out that Eddie was using someone else's visa card, that payment gets taken back from me and given back to the person whose visa card you were using. So if you spend money with me and then I spend that money, but then visa comes back and says, no, 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 we need to take that money back. Well, then I'm screwed. But if you pay me over lightning, I can literally spend that dollar right away and like within a second of receiving it, and even with Visa, that might well, that money might only go in my account like five days later, right? When that Visa transaction settles or batches, um, and it can never be taken back from me. And so I think from a point of sale perspective, as someone who runs an online business and has to deal with chargebacks, has to pay and and see how much all these Visa fees are, right? Like I I help coordinate this online store that does over a million dollars a year. We pay a shitload of money to Visa to use them we get a huge amount of chargebacks. We do everything we can to mitigate fraud based on like transaction information, but we still get chargebacks where we've sent out product and then we get the money taken back from us. And so that's just a, a cost of business that we're shouldering because of the limitations of the Visa network. And so from a point of sale perspective, uh, Lightning is a very powerful innovation. Yeah, man. I, uh, I think that like, like you said, you know, I don't have any personal experience um, kind of behind like, you know, behind the business really. And I think that, you know, the implications or like the positive 
uh, effects that the Lightning Network would have just for like protecting the business itself. Because I think like a lot of, uh, you, you know, in, in this economy and like, you know, I'll admit it, like, you know, I mean, I've never charged back uh, something that I've bought, but I've, I've, I've used, I've utilized the chargeback feature with Visa before and it's very easy. It's like, it's almost kind of scary, you know, like if I wanted to abuse that power, um, or like you said, you know, just with like uh, a fraud, you know, transactions, like the business itself doesn't have a lot of protection. And um, so like just in that very like aspect, like me and me be, kind of being an outsider, I can see where like moving from utilizing like a credit based system to a like hard money or a final final settlement like you're saying system yeah, bear could bear asset system could just be so you know so valuable for the uh service provider you know and and uh, and not only that but it's like it's it's going to be valuable for the the um you know the user itself as well because you know if i'm if i'm going to be um it's easy for me to, to use my credit card, you know, but uh, if I was to spend some Bitcoin or like, you know, maybe utilize the lightning network and, and, you know, put, put some more USD in the Bitcoin and then utilize that, you know, go on a vacation um, that would be like very intentional, you know, and it, it almost comes from a different place. And so I think like, yeah, I mean, those are kind of just my first couple of thoughts. Really. Well, here's a couple of invisible elements that, um, may not be seen by the consumer, right? Because from a consumer perspective, like a business perspective is a unique one where you see all the backend inefficiencies and, and all the negatives of something like Visa. But from a consumer perspective, there's also a few negatives. And here, here are a couple of them. Number one, if you spend money with your Visa um, in uh, Japan, your Visa will auto, will, will, when it shows on your statement, it will convert from Japanese currency to US dollar currency. There's a foreign exchange spread there. So someone is making money, like Visa or the bank is making money from you by on the foreign exchange conversion. Okay, so there's, there's some leakage there where you're losing value. That's, it, the value is not going to you. The value is not going to the merchant. It's being, it's being essentially pulled from you. Um, if we literally just think about Visa, how a Visa card works for a hot second, we really realize how, <laughs> how dumb a Visa is. To use my Visa card, I give you the password to access all my funds in my Visa account, right? So when I want to use my Visa, I give you the card number, the expiry date, and the CVV. That is the password to my Visa account. If I'm giving away the password every time I make a purchase online or in person, it's really not a surprise that visas get, get stolen all the time. Visa, those, those coordinates get stolen all the time. And there's mass fraud because you're giving the password to make a transaction. Like it's so stupid, right? With Lightning Network, I have to put in my password, which you don't see in order for me to spend money. So I'm not giving you the password when I spend money. I'm putting in my password to enable a payment to be made. So even just the notion of a visa card is so old in the age of crypto cryptography and in the age of technology, a visa card is dumb as fuck because you're giving the password away every time you make a purchase. So it's no surprise that that gets leaked out and stolen. Um, so the foreign exchange part. And the other thing too is like, okay, if I'm a merchant and I don't pay 2.95% in fees anymore, like 295 basis points, if I pay 20 basis points, guess what? I'm probably going to give you some money back. I might give it back to you in rewards. I might lower my prices 
right? By, by two and a half percent, because I don't need to pay. That's no longer leakage from my business. Maybe I pay that back to the consumer. So I think on the consumer side, the inconvenience of having someone steal your visa card and having to get a whole new visa card, right? If you're on a trip somewhere, there's fraud, you call it in, you don't have a new visa card, you're screwed, right? That's number one. Number two, foreign exchange fees. If you use your visa card abroad, that's someone stealing from you, right? Taking a little piece. Number three, the fact that literally it's so inefficient compared to the current standard, you know, this whole notion that you give your password away every time you spend money is very, very silly. And so I think there are consumer end elements that we really don't see because they're kind of invisible. Um, but it, you know, by disintermediating, like all Shopify has to do is literally plug strikes API into the Shopify platform, allow me as a Shopify merchant to use that strike uses the Bitcoin lightning rails to decrease the marginal cost of transactions to almost zero and make them instant. Uh, and maybe I never even have to have to touch the Bitcoin asset, right? Money still shows up in my account. I, it just happens as a company, it just happens instantly. There's no risk of chargebacks. And maybe I, I share some of that um, revenue back with my customers by reducing prices. And so I think as a point of sale, you know, it's going to take a while for this to really like scale up. Uh, but as a point of, as a better point of sale option to disintermediate companies like Visa makes it more efficient for everyone um, and reduces all the bullshit that's associated with Visa payments. So that's, that's use case number one point of sale payments, it's starting to be used at a small scale in areas of need like El Salvador, like literally in El Salvador, Starbucks and McDonald's enable lightning payments. They tested it there. All they have to do is click a button and use that same system they've developed there and put it all over the world. Like think of how easy that is with technology, right? There's no new payment network that they have to put in place. The network's already in place and it's global. All they have to do is plug into it. And so I think that that makes things happen much quicker than has been possible in the past. So that's use case number one. Use case number two, cross-border remittances. And this is a really powerful one because once again, as people that live, you live in the United States, I live in Canada, we don't send remittances, right? I don't have a family in some really poor third world country that I send money back to, but people that do are getting crushed with bullshit fees from people who take advantage of them, right? So for example, if I'm from El Salvador, I leave El Salvador to go to the United States because there's better job prospects. I will send money back to my family in El Salvador, uh, maybe every week or every paycheck. Right now, companies like Western Union or um, like any global uh, remittance provider, right? Like Western Union, I can't remember the name. Uh, they're the, they're definitely the biggest one. I mean, I've even used yeah. them. You know, it's like. <laughs> but essentially, they charge massive fees to steal from the poorest people on earth that are trying to send money back to their families. They just got wiped out because now I can plug a lightning wallet address into my Twitter account and I can use Twitter to send remittances instantly and basically for free. So it's, it's funny how Western Union has the same color, like the yellow reminds me of Blockbuster because guess what? They are the new Blockbuster and, and lightning is Netflix. They just wiped them out. They just don't know it yet. And so this whole notion that remittances, the one of the biggest immediate problems that lightning network solves in terms of like a real world use case that most privileged people won't know about, but people in developing worlds know about really well is the fact that we just stopped robbery of the poorest people in the world from companies that essentially had a monopoly on transferring global payments. That's pretty special stuff. Yeah, man. I, I, I've, I've like, I've kind of known that that was like a long time coming really. And I think like, 
really my my takeaway for that use case for the like remittance use case is really like and and the and the uh, the um point of sale use case really is like the lightning is starting to provide value to not just like a like you're really not even gonna be a bitcoiner like a bitcoin maxi or like a cryptocurrency user um there's like this um benefit or value that's being pr provided to the entire world to to the business to the um, customer and to the network itself and so it, it's it's really only it's only a matter of time nick i really think because Visa and all and like Western Union and all these companies, um, they utilize like their their network and it's and it's all for like um, self benefit, you know, I mean, really, like, like, let's be honest. And I and I think like when you have something like lightning or like Bitcoin in general, um, that is like giving back to people that don't necessarily even believe in Bitcoin yet or you know understand the currency or the money or the network um is really it kind of gives me some chills and like learning and talking about lightning and just like these these specific use cases just really is hammering in the point to me that um it's only a matter of time because like everyone is going to benefit um and I, it's like I, I like i don't even i i I know so little now that we're talking about this. I realize like I know so so little about how many benefits there are. So even yeah. if I like even if I wasn't a Bitcoin user or a Bitcoiner, even if I didn't hold Bitcoin, I would benefit from telling from like saying, "Hey, like, you know, uh, Bitcoin is like utilizing the Lightning network is going to benefit you and me." Uh, and you know, I don't even believe in it. But then, you know, that that wouldn't make sense. You know, you'll eventually believe in Bitcoin if you're yeah, it just only takes time, really. So, yeah, you learn about Bitcoin through either curiosity or through pain, and pain <laughs> is usually indicated by need. And so, most people don't need Bitcoin right now. The people who have a legitimate need for Bitcoin are starting to adopt Bitcoin, and we don't hear about it much because they're, you know, big media is not going to talk about how Bitcoin is solving a problem for the poorest people in the world. It's not really a like that's a pretty incredible thing, but it's not exactly a fear embedding newsworthy story right? As we currently view it. And so unless you're really searching for these things, you're not going to find them yet uh, until you come through a, pl a place of need. And eventually every, the funny thing is people need Bitcoin everywhere right now. They just don't realize it. Right. And the need comes from the fact that if I, if you live in Canada, like me, you just got robbed 20% of your purchasing power in the past, probably 18 months, probably more than that, actually. Um, just look at how much money they've created. So everyone in Canada needs Bitcoin most people don't realize that they need it. They're, they're happily ignorant to the fact that they just got robbed 20% of their wealth because Canada created 20% more money. Um, and so, but when they find that out, then they start to realize how big the problem is. And that's not even, that has nothing to do with lightning. That has everything to do with the asset, not, not the network. But as this net, it's almost a good thing that Bitcoin, like I used to, like anyone, you get psychologically hijacked by these price variations of Bitcoin. When it goes down, you get you know, like it gets you, it captivates you um, in a negative way. When it goes up, it's the opposite. But I've started to look at things like we need to move slow because we need to build out all this infrastructure so that when the cliff hits 
and everything just blows up, all the legacy system blows up, we need robust infrastructure to handle everyone coming in, right? It's like right now the ARC is half built. We don't want the flood right now because it's only half built. The ARC, the ARC may not float if everyone comes on it. We need to keep building the ARC so that when the flood does happen, we have something ready for people to say, yes, it's ready. We built it, we tested it, and now we're ready. And so it's almost like that gives me a lot more calm in the price variations of Bitcoin. Cause it's like, actually, I don't want it to go any faster than it is because it's probably going as fast as is possible without breaking. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's really important. Like everything is being built and evolving at such an exponential rate that it's like, we need more time. We need time to build this so that when the, when the need is there globally for every human, when they realize the need is there by getting so much pain that they're like, fuck this, I need something better. We'll be ready. Um, the last use case I want to talk about is micropayments, tiny, tiny transactions, fractions of a penny, maybe like a penny. And where this feeds into things is, okay, well, when it costs me virtually nothing to send a payment of any amount, and it happens instantly, this opens up a whole new world of, um, commerce, right? It opens up new possibilities, right? Like when Apple, uh, allowed a 99 cent transaction to happen. Well, guess what? You can buy individual songs. Now you don't have to buy CDs or albums. You can buy a song because now we can do a 99 cent transaction with Apple. Well, now that we can do a one cent transaction with lightning, this, you know, the, the real world case that is being used right now that we actually benefit from at the Stoa is streaming money with people who listen to podcasts, right? So right now you can essentially download breeze wallet which is a pretty badass experience. Shout out to the Breeze team. You can load it up with 10 bucks worth of uh, Bitcoin and you can set the rate at which sats, which are, which are tiny, tiny little fractions of a Bitcoin get sent to the content creator. So for example, I put $10 in Bitcoin in my Breeze wallet. I download the Bitcoin Stoa uh, podcast, a certain podcast episode to that application. I can then set how many sats per minute get streamed to Bitcoin store to the Bitcoin store creators. And so this whole notion that you're only paying if you're listening, if you're listening, the, the understanding is you're getting some value because if you weren't getting value, you wouldn't be listening. And this whole notion that payment gets made and goes directly from the listener to the creator with only a very small portion, like I'm talking like 1% to the podcast index and one or 2% to breeze wallet. So that's maybe 3% total versus I create a podcast. I list it on Apple podcasts. I believe they take 30%. So if I make a hundred, if people register for the podcast um, and, you know, like uh, register for month as a monthly member for every hundred dollars that gets paid for my content, I get $70 of it because Apple takes 30% as a monopoly for having that platform. And the other thing too, is if I say something on the podcast that Apple or someone that Apple's affiliated with doesn't like, I just get, I just get erased. Right. So this whole notion that streaming money, Bitcoin is a digitally native programmable form of money. It's the first of its kind. Programmable means that you literally provide instructions and it will automatically execute a task as you specified it. In this case, the instructions are for every minute of podcast listening I do to this podcast, send this person 50 sats, which is like maybe 20 cents. That's pretty fucking cool. And that already exists today, is in use right now. And I think this ports over to this whole notion that all of the people who have monopolies right now, YouTube has a monopoly on video content, right? I create video content. YouTube makes a shitload of money from ads. They give me a couple crumbs from what I generated. That goes away. Apple, 
gatekeeps the podcast realm where people pay memberships to podcasts. I get 70% of what people wanted to pay me because Apple has a monopoly on that platform. Well, these things get erased. And now people can pay creators instead of people paying companies, which then pay creators, whatever they deem the creators deserve. And I think this whole notion that streaming money, you know, it makes it more profitable to be a creator, right? Because if you have a thousand people listening to your, your stuff, you don't have to charge them $20 a month. You just say, if you listen to it and watch it, stream some sats, maybe like you watch a 30 minute video, it costs you five cents for the individual. That's negligible. That's like nothing, right? You find five cents on the, on the ground outside, but for the creator, if a thousand people are sending them five cents every minute, that can literally be an, uh, a, an income that that person lives off of, right? If you live in Malaysia and the income per day is like $10, maybe you can make that by creating a good meme. It creates a creator economy that is actually peer to peer instead of uh, being sort of taken advantage of by a monopoly uh, that can censor you anytime. That's some special stuff. Yeah, man. <clears throat> no wonder um, Apple uh, still has a larger market cap than Bitcoin because they they take thirty percent of the, <laughs> right, the podcasts. Right. <laughs> no, that's crazy, man. I and really like I think you know the more that I'm learning about technology and how it's moving, um, there are you know it's like it makes sense that we use Apple Podcasts. We use it because it's convenient to us, and we're at this point in like the history of Apple Podcasts and the monopoly of that to where like pretty much everybody uses it without thinking about it and everybody, you know, you can find some profit in it because everybody uses it. So, you know, most business users are or podcasters are going to use Apple podcasts because it has such a large mm -hmm. network. It's currently the most standard best experience, but it's yeah. getting disrupted. But like when you think about, um, and I downloaded breeze app, I, I haven't, um, added any sats on there yet, but I think like, like and just talking about it today and like looking at the capabilities of it i think about like like the future of like crowdsourcing and being able to um like for me like one of the things and this is just like a quick like side note but like for me like my wife and i were really starting to um and this is like an ongoing process but really about like intentionally spending our money so it's like you know thinking, you know, going as far along, along down the train, you know, of like, okay, if I spend my money here, then like, where is it going to end up? Um, and so like, and you know, me, for me personally, I like to get as close to the source as possible. So if I can go to the farmer's market and the person that's growing the vegetables is going to sell them to me, then I'll definitely do that. And so like the capabilities of lightning and how you can get close to the source of the information um, and be able to say like, okay, this is like, my, this is my monetary energy and I want to give it to you. I want to support this. I want to, um, you know, support this person, this organization. That's like really powerful um, in itself. And I think it just gives a lot more sovereignty and like uh, ability to choose to the individual. Um, it's freaking really cool. And I, and you know, <clears throat> I think the notion of paying people instead of companies is insanely cool, right? <laughs> yeah. This whole notion that I go to a market, I had this conversation with someone in uh, like a, a market vendor in Kelowna when I was there recently in BC, he was selling little bracelets and I didn't pay him. I paid visa visa then is making a promise to hopefully pay him eventually. 
but I didn't pay him. I would rather just pay him, right? And, light, and what Lightning allows you to do is not only have a human pay a human, but actually pay that human the world's hardest money that can never be fucked with, that can't be stolen. It's just, it's so incredible. And it's very cool to know that the most privileged people with the best financial legacy, the legacy financial infrastructure are going to be the last people to adopt it because they have the lowest need. And the people who need it most are going to adopt it first. They're already adopting it. People in El Salvador are already adopting it. So they're adopting the world's hardest money and the ability for humans to pay humans because there's a need. And I think it's, it's very, very special knowing that I can take my monetary energy and give it directly to another human, not have some third party um, take a chunk of it for claiming that they're, that, that they're needed for that transaction to happen because they're no longer needed. They just got booted, right? It's just a matter of time. And like, it's better for everyone except for the people who are taking advantage of everyone. It's glorious. Seriously. Seriously. And, the, and I think really the cool thing is too, is like, is, is like I said earlier, like to me, to, for, for like me and my understanding, like the growth that the lightning network is having is really like starting, you know, 2020, 2021. Um, and, you know, I mean, I could rattle off numbers, but I, I just think like, you know, when you look at a graph and you, and you start to see that like parabolic move towards uh, more adoption it just like it just shows you the utility of it and like with all these conversations that we had today so far nick it just like is really like settling in a concrete utility for me for for lightning and making me want to use it i i don't like you know i'm not i'm not a full like user yet but i i see the value in it and i and not only that and then it's not really a hope but i like i see a vision like for the future of of like such a, such a use and a utility for it. Like, and it's really powerful. Like you said, being able to pay an individual, um, it, it really is like taking us back to a time, like to where we have, uh, like a barter system. And, um, but it's, it's like, it's better than that because it's like digital hard money. And, and, uh, you know, so <laughs> I think it's really cool. Here's, here's another brain fuck when it comes to streaming money, payroll. Okay, right now, uh, I'm still leading a company. We have payroll. We pay people once a month, right? We pay them on the 15th. So essentially, you know, they get, they get paid two weeks into their work, but they get paid in advance for two weeks. So we just do once a month because doing payroll is so inconvenient, right? I have to do all this bullshit to submit receiver general and expenses to the Canadian government. I have to write checks. I have to determine all the calculations for our checks. What about streaming payroll? So okay, Steve is someone that works for us. I go up to Steve and say, hey, we're going to transition our payroll to Lightning. Would you rather be paid per month, per week, per day, per minute, or per second? It's no different to me because we have a payment channel open and I just program it. That's some cool shit. When you can be paid per minute, money literally gets shot, teleported into your wallet for every minute that you work. That's some cool shit that we don't even understand yet. And I'm still trying to work my brain around, but like that is the potential that lightning opens, right? There's no longer this transaction. I mean, there's still all the Canadian government nonsense that has to kind of be circumvented and, and sort of like be understood. But at the end of the day, the fact that I don't have to write a check and that person doesn't have to wait five days for that check to clear. And I can pay them per minute of work they're doing anywhere in the world. It doesn't matter where I am or where they are. 
because it's simply just transferring value through a payment channel, that's pretty special. And I think that's going to literally completely change this notion of work, right? Like if you can do um, gig-based work. So the, in, the, in this gig-based economy, if you can plug in online and you have a skill set that you can essentially deliver value online, you can be paid per gig that you do. Okay. Someone has an hour of work. Eddie has a skill set to do it. Eddie, you'd log in, you do an hour of work. You get paid for that hour of work instantly right away. As soon as the work's done, that's pretty cool, right? No one, a human paid a human or a company paid a human instead of paying an, another company who then hopefully pays the human. Right. And I think this whole notion that if we're moving towards a global workforce, that is literally just one planet instead of being in each country, we have a global currency now and we have a global payment network. So it doesn't matter where you are. You can be paid in the world's best money. It's one currency. We don't have to do all this foreign exchange bullshit where someone is once again, stealing a little bit for exchanging one US dollar for one Canadian dollar. They'll steal like 2% for processing that transaction. It doesn't exist anymore. Right, this whole notion that a global monetary network that enables streaming money, programmable money, uh, with a globally recognized asset, we don't even know. Here's the thing: we always look to the future from the frame of reference of where we are right now. So I know financial things that we can do today, and so I try and just imagine what they might look like tomorrow with this new financial tool. What I don't realize is this financial tool just enabled a billion more applications that I can't even imagine of yet. I can't even think of what this enables, right? Because there's never been something created until someone invents a new financial application with this new financial tool that has virtually limitless capabilities with programmable money. I can't even imagine it. And so there's going to be things that come out in the future that are going to blow our minds that we can't imagine today because we can't conceive of every brain on earth innovating on the same global open monetary network. Um, we can't even conceive of it. And it's going to be very exciting. It's going to be insanely exciting because this whole notion that we now have an inclusive network open to anyone with an internet connection um, will enable commerce at a level and economic flourishing at a level we've never actually been able to see before because there's never been a system in place that allowed it. And so, you know, like I can pay a guy in Africa um, to do a piece of work, I would have never even spoken to that person before, let alone be able to communicate value with them because they don't have a bank account. They don't have access to a network that I, that my money lies on. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm just very excited to see what future applications we can't even currently conceive of get created in future for our kids. Yeah. Cool. I think it's, it's a, uh, it's really fun to think about one, like, um, one of my favorite movies is an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie called Total Recall. And yes. I really like, and not only that movie, but, uh, you know, I really like a lot of movies depicting the future and like, just like seeing the like ideas that they had, you know, it's, it really, um, to me, it's, it's, it shows me two things. It shows me that, it's, it's usually they're pretty far off when, you know, usually we're pretty far off when we're trying to predict the future, but it's like almost eerily similar in a way, because we are in the process of like creating the future right now. So like, there are so many things in that movie that are like very relevant, you know, and, and, and with any movie, you know, depicting the future or anything like that, I think like that idea in itself is really exciting. And so like my takeaway for that is like, 
I want to adopt, if like, if I see like right now we're having this conversation, anybody listening to this sees value in the lightning network, then um, get comfortable with it. You know, like, just like uh, we did like 20 something years ago, like with the internet and being able to have like that access to, to the information and like onto your second point, Nick, really like having the ability to um, like to like you said, collaborate across the globe with anybody, um, utilizing, you know, the internet and now like a, a um, method of communicating value through Bitcoin um, is, is so crazy to me because like that has been, uh, you know, if you think about like the history of society and like, I love reading books like that and like, you know, where we've come, you know, like really big picture, um, uh, uh, narratives of history, like you realize that a lot of it, it's like, it's so very, um, history is always like in these pockets. Um, and the development is always like in these pockets, you know? Um, and now that we have like technology, like internet, we have technology, like the lightning network and Bitcoin, we can collaborate on levels. Like we have never been able to imagine before. And so like, think about the innovation that's going to be done, like, and how fast it's going to be done. It again is just telling me, it's showing me the truth that like, it's only going to speed up from here in terms of like the integration of technology and being able to collaborate. So I think, yeah, man, I mean, it's a really exciting place to be in, like to, to envision the future. Cause really like light, the lightning network is, is the future. It's creating the future like right now. In, in front of our eyes. So it's, it's uh, fun to talk about it and be a part of it. Yeah. And so I think there's different layers that you can engage with the lightning network, right. Based on where you are, or how curious you are, how much time you have. Uh, I think layer one is just download a lightning wallet. And um, if you already have Bitcoin, send fund that lightning wallet. Dollars of play money in there, which can last you like a shitload of transactions. So that's sort of like the first layer of engaging with lightning. I think the second layer is spinning up a lightning node. So I did this not long ago, earlier this year, I spun up a Bitcoin node. Uh, it was like a Sunday morning project that cost me like 300 bucks when we, you know, with the Raspberry Pi and the SSD um, hard drive. So it wasn't very expensive. It took a morning, the blockchain updated. Now I can see this interface on my computer through Umbral that makes it really intuitive. A fun experiment that I did after that was to uh, essentially spin up a lightning node, which it's literally just an application through Umbral. So when I log into Umbral, I have the interface. I can literally go to like this app store and download Ride the Lightning uh, and integrate Lightning. And now I have uh, a Bitcoin node and a lightning node. And, you know, the third layer of experimenting is opening up payment channels. So I've started to sort of open up payment channels, lightning payment channels, see what this is. How do you manage liquidity? How do you rebalance channels? Like it's a, it's a big rabbit hole in and of itself. And I think, you know, I engage with it in almost waves where I hear something about lightning. I get curious, I go in there and I'll play around with the channels. It's not a huge amount of funds, but it's enough that I can sort of learn, right? Learn by doing instead of learning theoretically, um, actually like touch it, engage with it, put a little bit of money, like 20, $30 and start to experiment with these things. And, you know, I think one cool thing that I think of is this whole notion that as lightning matures, the idea of generating sats by routing payments becomes very interesting, right? And so if you have Bitcoin that you want to lock up, 
uh, and sort of save, like instead of doing it in cold storage, maybe you lock it up in a payment channel that other people can use to route payments. And so you're kind of like building part of this payment infrastructure, this, you know, if payment infrastructure is like a freeway, you're building part of the freeway for the future financial infrastructure. And it's almost like a mini toll road where, you know, the fees aren't going to be very big because the more people that do it, the less the fees end up being, because there's always someone willing to accept a little bit less if your marginal cost is basically zero. But the idea that in future you can spin up a lightning node or multiple lightning nodes and be paid to help facilitate payments being sent from one person to the next by being a routing point is super badass, right? And I think that's really cool. So I've been messing around with that, but start with downloading a lightning wallet, try out something like a podcast feature um, where you're streaming sats, open a payment channel with the, or uh, spin up a node, put, open up a lightning node, open up a payment channel with a friend, send a friend a lightning payment, just kind of see how it works. I think it's really important to engage, learn by engaging, not just by um, listening. And so yeah, I mean, we'll end up doing probably a lightning show and uh, review really like node. There's so many people that make good node setup videos. There's no point in us making one. But I think as I continue to learn and engage with um, the Bitcoin node that I set up, I, I'm continually expanding my understanding of how this works and seeing all these future potentials. Um, so that's a good experiment to do. We'll just touch very briefly on the network growth rate of lightning because it is, like you said before, it is going parabolic. It's exponential. Um they often list Lightning Network growth with two metrics. Number one, or three metrics that I've kind of come across. The number of nodes, the number of channels, and the amount of Bitcoin um, that is in those channels, which creates the liquidity of the network. And they're all literally going straight vertical exponentially. Because we're still at the start, it's still not a huge amount. But it, it kind of creeps up. Exponential things creep up on you. Bitcoin is exponential. Lightning is The Lightning Network growth is exponential. And so it, it, it starts out fairly insignificant in the grand scheme of things because the overall volume of Bitcoin locked up in the lightning network is small. But when the curve goes vertical and exponential, like it's stunning how quickly this thing is growing. And so I don't think it's going to be long before we start hearing more and more about it because eventually it hits a threshold where people can't ignore it anymore. Um, yeah. 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 I really can't wait to like, I have a couple different wallets that um, have lightning like capabilities, I guess. And I think like before this week, I still didn't really have like, um, I, th I think I was still kind of separating, like, let's say a standard Bitcoin wallet um, that was, you know, going to be uh, sending on, on like the main chain and then a wallet like Moon that we've talked about in the past or Breeze, um, for example, uh, that that is like integrating with the lightning network. But I, I think I've like kind of helped clear up a little confusion that I had because like, it, it's like, uh, because some of these wallets have like just seamlessly integrated you within the lightning network. And really it's only just a, it's, it's a very small uh, difference in terms of like sending sats, um, utilizing it. I mean, I haven't done it yet, but I've, I've, you know, looked at it and, and um, it is kind of cool too. I mean, I think like, I, I guess I could just list off a couple of the like unique differences. And I think we might've mentioned this in the past is like being able to send uh, messages with your um, payment of sats and things like that, which I've noticed, which is pretty cool. But I like, I, like I said, I really want to get my hands on it more. I'm still really like, I, I see a lot of the value for me, um, but it's like, it's like 
down the road, you know, it probably is going to sneak up on me faster than I think, you know, with that like parabolic move, but I'm like, I'm wanting to put together these pieces beforehand. Um, so I can kind of stay a little bit ahead of the curve and I'm, and I'm like curious, you know, and maybe you like have, or have not, um, had any, if like, you set up anything regarding Bitcoin in the next five years, you're already ahead of the curve. <laughs> and then, and that, you know what, and that's a really good point too, Nick is like, it's, it's, uh, even for me, like, it's hard to like constantly hammer in that idea. Like we're, we're still not early or, or we're still early. Um, we're mm -hmm. still very early. So yes. like when you think that you're not early, it's, it's just, um, a bit of FUD, you know, and like, you just got to work through that a little bit, but like getting your hands on, like on, on lightning and just like understanding it for yourself, I think has been really important for me, um, to, to like, see, you know, cause like we're, we're literally creating the future of lightning right now. So, you know, I believe in it. I'm, I'm going to get my hands on it. I'm going to see what I can use what I can use now. And I guess like, I did have one question for you and like, you may or may not have had like any takeaways yet, but like, have you had any, um, like use cases or, or like any, uh, you know, um, changes in your like idea or thought process or any like value taken away, like after you, uh, spun up that lightning, um, addition to your umbrella app I, i'm just curious um or any takeaways or any like experience from that because i've never talked to anybody in person that has actually done it yeah i mean i still have a lot to learn right but this yeah. whole notion that the canadian bitcoin podcast i know those guys so we have a we have a payment channel open we haven't used it yet but there is changes in the um local and remote balances so payments are getting routed through our payment channel we haven't done anything with each other but it's getting used as part of the network, which just looking at that was like really cool. Uh, another use case I had was I, I made these toques and at one point I posted them said, I just said, if anyone wants a toque, just DM me. And, a, and a, like I had three or four people DM me and I was like, yeah, just send me your address. The toque's free, but if you want, you can uh, contribute to the shipping costs. And so I literally just sent people like, this is what I paid to ship. There's no expectation, pay for it if you want. It's totally up to you. The toque's free either way. And most of the people said, do you have a, can you send me a lightning invoice? So the first time I ever used lightning was when someone literally volunteered to help pay for the shipping costs. I sent them a lightning invoice. They paid using the lightning invoice and it showed up on my node. And I was like, shit, that's cool. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, I still have a lot to learn, but I think this whole notion that, you know, if, if, and when I engage in some sort of business where I'm going to be making regular payments to someone who's contributing value for the business, I'm just going to open up a, a lightning channel and essentially program it in that this person gets sent X amount of dollars uh, at this amount of frequency. And now that I actually know it's possible, the other thing too is I will use the Breeze app to listen to some of our episodes to try and like detect little annoying things that I say or improve the delivery of how we're doing this. And I'll use Breeze app. I'll fund my Breeze wallet with like 20 bucks and I'll stream sats. And once in a while, I'll boost it. And I just want to, it allows me to see, okay, this is how many sats got sent to the Stoa podcast. This is what podcast index got this is how many sats the breeze wallet got and this is how many sats got sent to the creator and just seeing that and then seeing it pop up on my node interface is like it really hits home the fact that magic internet money that has insane functionality is already here just most people don't know about it and the user interfaces aren't quite sharp enough for people that are early the people beyond the super early adopters to really get a handle on but it's only getting better right every single wallet that improves their interface, improves the whole experience for everyone in Bitcoin, because it's that many more people that can start to engage with this technology. And so we are insanely early. 
It is a groundbreaking technology. Um, I think two things I want to finish up with. Number one, I want to just talk about this notion of a lightning financial experience, give a personal story of uh, when I sent money overseas uh, back in 2018 and how shitty the experience was and how different it could be if done today. And then we'll do a bit of a summary of everything we talked to and then we'll wrap up. So I think this whole notion, like I think of the, I have a two-year-old nephew and I often think of what kind of financial experience is he going to have when he actually interacts with money, which will probably be way sooner than when I interacted with money because he's already interacting with phones. Um, my brother didn't give him like, they're going to wait. We have this conversation frequently of like, how old should Jackson be for him to be able to have a phone? Right. Cause it's super crazy. He's already grabbing his parents' phone and pressing buttons and knows how to do shit. I'm like, dude, he's only two years old. This is crazy. Um, but I often think of this notion that he'll never touch money. He'll never physically touch coins or paper. Right. I, I truly believe he won't. Uh, he'll never know what five to seven business days means. Right. Because it's not, there's never going to be a dependence on a bank where it's like, oh, the bank has to be open for me to have this payment go through. He'll never know what a hold is on a check. He'll never see a check. Checks are dumb as fuck. <laughs> I use them every week for the business because it's the only alternative I have right now. But he'll never see a check. He'll never see a world where sending money to either his friend that lives in Ottawa or his friend that lives in Australia is different. They will be the same experience. Um, and so this whole notion that a lightning powered financial experience is a better financial experience, right? Even if the Canadian banks simply like tack on to lightning, which I don't know if they will or not, but it would literally make their businesses more efficient, although they wouldn't have as much ability to like ding people on fees. Um, but eventually I think that's what happens, right? When the whole world understands lightning, it's like the banks either update their systems to integrate with this global interoperable system, or they get erased and they become um, dinosaurs that die out. So I think that this whole notion of a lightning experience where you're paid per minute with payroll for the work you do. There's never five to seven business days waiting for your money to clear. Uh, as a business, there's never chargebacks on any funds that people did. Uh, you never have to worry about visa fraud. You don't have to pay visa a bunch of fees to process transactions. Like this is the financial experience of the future powered by lightning. Uh, and I think it's a, it's such a good experience, right? Like we're literally in the information age with Twitter, we are in the 21st century information age of being able to communicate with others. We are in the 19th century in terms of financial experience. And when that gets brought into the crazy thing is like, it's not a slow transition into the 21st century. It's like you go through warp speed through the sound barrier and you show up with a 21st century financial experience, which is orders of magnitude better as a user experience than what we currently have. Um, and even just in, in terms of cross-border global payments, in 2018, I did some seminars uh, in China for the Foot Collective. And from the time that it left the person in China's bank account till the time it arrived and was accessible to me in my bank account in Canada, it took about 60 days and 5% got trimmed off. And that was wow. only because <laughs> of all the government checks uh, that had to happen, the intergovernment clearing the international banking system clearing, the funds getting blocked, the exchange fees, the time and energy of me dealing with the friction of all that. That was insane. In the age where he can send me an email in one second for free, it took 60 days and cost 5% for him to send me a piece of monetary information, the same distance that an email goes. If the email was free, that the money took 60 days and cost me 5%. So this is just a, this is a order of magnitude better experience with lightning and it exists right now today. 
any governments or any companies who have a monopoly or who love control, because governments are a monopoly on control, right? Um, are not going to like it, not because it's not good, because it removes their control. And the control being removed from them, the, the net of that is empowerment of the individual. So Lightning is fundamentally an empowering innovation on Bitcoin because it solves the problem of transactions being too slow and too expensive. And it is a true peer-to-peer -peer mesh network that's growing exponentially, and it's going to be incredible. It's already an incredible experience if you're an early adopter and really diving into this out of curiosity. Uh, it's already a life-changing experience for people in third world countries like El Salvador or Africa or, or parts of East Asia that don't have banking, but now they have, but they have a cell phone. And so now they have literally the equivalent of a Swiss bank in their pocket with the world's hardest money. The people who are the poorest in the world get it first. And then when all the rich people get in, all the poor people get made rich. It's, it's beautiful. Um, let's do a little summary. So number one, important to draw a line of distinction between Bitcoin, the network, capital B, Bitcoin, the asset, lowercase b. Uh, Lightning was created as a scaling solution by solving the limitations of transaction speed and transaction cost. Lightning Network is a layer two protocol that upgrades privacy and, like I said, makes transactions instant and nearly free, nearly free, um, and removes any of the throughput limitations of the base chain. So we maintain the integrity of the monetary protocol of the base chain, the integrity of the, of the hard money asset, but we enable it with much more functionality by going to a layer two innovation. So we don't have to mess with the base chain. We don't have to mess with any of the protocol rules, the scarcity, the divisibility, all that good stuff we maintain, but we use layer two to facilitate faster and basically free transactions. Uh, and essentially lightning supercharges Bitcoin and turns the most inclusive monetary network in the world to one that is faster and cheaper than anything else today. That is the clincher, right? This whole notion that an open network is innovating at exponential rates and that it's faster and cheaper than anything else available today. And it includes the world's hardest money means that it's scary disruptive to financial networks like ACH or PayPal or Venmo or Visa. And so they've already lost because they're stuck, right? Uh, Jack Mollers talks about this all the time in a very potent way. It's like they either join the interoperable global network that is the most efficient way to transfer value on planet Earth, or they double down on their closed networks and start to lose people. They start to bleed people because they simply can't provide uh, as good of an experience and they have too much overhead built into their complex systems, right? Visa doesn't make 2.9% and put it in the pocket of themselves or their investors. They have to pay a huge amount of overhead for the complexity that that network required for the setup effort, for the government regulations, all the bullshit. Bitcoin circumvents that. And so it's more efficient, which is why it's cheaper, which is why it's faster. And no one has to ask permission to use it. And so I don't really know any other reasons you need to, to really understand that this inversion from legacy to uh, the legacy financial system to the financial system of the future built on this global open monetary network is happening. It's happening faster every day that goes by. And that's just going to lead to a better world. And I think it's really, uh, really powerful. So anything to say before we close this one out, Eddie? Yeah, Nick, I think really like... Um... My takeaway from today is, is a few things. Like first, we have this legacy system that we've, we've relied on for so long and there are a lot of problems with it. And like someone like myself, I don't even realize a lot of the problems. And like when I, what, I'm, what I'm pointing to specifically is like inclusivity versus exclusivity. There, I, I think 
that there's a lot of exclusivity in the in the current system that we use. And and someone like me who is in the United States doesn't get to see a lot of that. But I think that's an important important problem to solve. And then of course you've got Bitcoin and you've got these problems that are that are thrown at Bitcoin. You've got the scalability issue like we talked about today. <clears throat> And then a couple of years later, well, not a couple of years later, but you know, it's it's a constant work in progress. But you get you get something like Lightning Network that completely like obliterates that issue. But not only does it do that, it, it addresses like hundreds, if not more, you know, thousands of other problems that that can um, be fixed by the Lightning Network and through Bitcoin. And so again, like I'm just even more fired up today. Um, I'm super stoked on the lightning network. And I think like, you know, just, just for one point to fire me up, like the lightning network is going to promote inclusivity, which I think is like a, a base human value that we can all relate on. And so just for that, like, uh, point alone, I think is powerful enough for like anybody, you know, it's like, it's a no brainer really. And, and, uh, like I keep saying over and over again, it's only a matter of time. I think, um, to learn about the lightning network. So start today. Yeah. And I think, and, you know, the future experience, uh, allows people to use the lightning network without even knowing what the lightning network is, right? It's a seamless integration into Bitcoin where the user interface with Bitcoin has lightning built in such that people don't even need to know what lightning is, how to open a payment channel, how to rebalance a payment channel. It all gets done. Right. Just like in the early days of email, you had to know how to actually interact with TCP IP, the protocol, and actually maybe do some command line prompt and do all these crazy technical things in order to send a message to someone on the other side of the planet. And today, my grandma can click one button, write some text, swipe her finger, and email's gone. It's a seamless user experience that requires so little understanding that like literally a three-year-old can do it. This is where Bitcoin is, is trending towards. And it's going there faster than email and faster than the internet. And we are so incredibly early that when you get in now and you look into these things out of curiosity, um, you are essentially part of the building phase of this whole thing. Um, and the whole notion that this is the first open monetary network, right? The first one. And the reason the internet crushed so hard is because it was an open protocol. Everyone that innovates on the internet improves the internet for all of us. And so this whole idea that every single person innovating in Bitcoin, innovating in Lightning, that works at you know MIT or Jack Mahler's working on Stripe or NIDIG working from the United States to get institutions on board, every single person's energy that they put into Bitcoin is making Bitcoin more valuable, more usable, and more user friendly for everyone. And I, you know, you can't beat open networks. So, you know, I think Visa, PayPal, Venmo. They're probably all scrambling. They're either ignorant and ignoring it, just like Blockbuster ignored it when Netflix came and offered to, like Blockbuster had the opportunity to buy Netflix. Blockbuster said, people aren't going to want that. You know, we're pretty good. We're making lots of money. We're good. And then Netflix erased Blockbuster. And so I think all of these networks like Visa and MasterCard and PayPal and Venmo and ACH, they have that moment right now. So they're either going to integrate with it and interoperate with a future financial network or they're going to ignorantly pretend like they can still maintain their monopoly and get bled out and die. And so um, either way, for you and I, it's a better financial future. And I think that's really what gives me a lot of hope. And I think, you know, hopefully the people listening, this conversation was helpful for you to kind of get a better 
understanding and maybe develop your own mental models around lightning. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for being here um, and for stopping by the Bitcoin store for another School of Coin conversation. If you enjoy the content, you can support the project by downloading Breeze Wallet and streaming sats, or you can just go to bitcoinstore.com, send some sats to the QR code there. That's what supports us to be able to continue doing this. And uh, yeah, wishing you all a great day. Ciao for now.